My mother's people were all coal miners. My father's people were all steel workers. They all worked in the mills. I don't believe in miracles. I believe in Pittsburgh. We play for city and country. The city is Pittsburgh. And this is Steelers country. All right, this is Steeler country. I'm your host, Tony. The divisional round in the books for 2018. The Pittsburgh Steelers lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. 42-45. to I, I talked about it on last week's podcast. I said the Steelers had a lot of ways to win this game, and the Jags have some have very narrow ways to win this game. And of all the ways the Steelers could lose this game, the shootout should not be one of them. Should not be one of them. The Jags' path to victory in this game was pretty clear. Run the ball, play defense. They ran the ball well. Defensively, they played well early, right? They got, they got, that, they got a couple turnovers. They made big plays defensively, but then Ben got hot, and and unfortunately, the Steelers couldn't keep pace. Not because our offense couldn't score touchdowns, not because our offense couldn't consistently go out there and score, because our defense could not get a stop. It's been a highly emotional reaction to this game, and I get that, because this is an absolutely devastating loss. One of the worst uh, playoff losses the Steelers have had ever. Definitely their worst playoff loss since the... uh, since the debacle against Tim Tebow in Denver, was that, five or six years ago. This team should not have been eliminated this early. They're 13-3. and three. They were loaded with talent. Tomlin said it himself, you know, this team should win the Super Bowl. A lot of fans want change. A lot of fans want change in this game. And, and potentially massive change. You know, we, we, we saw the report today that, you know, the, these, uh, the limited owners of the team uh, want, you know, change at the top. Uh, I'm going to talk about all that today, but... Let's start with something positive, right? Let, let's let's start with the positives that we can take out of this game because I had the pleasure or, or pain, whatever you want to call it, of, of being in the stands for this one. Yes, I went to both Jaguars losses this year. Um, and, and there's just so many fun moments in this game. And, and let me start here because I think this, this is really going to get lost in all of the other things that, that are going to be said about this game. I think this is Ben Roethlisberger's best performance as a quarterback. The best game I think he's ever played. Even with the turnovers and all that he had early. He's had he's had bigger games, you know, he's had he's had big wins, right? This was a loss. I mean, he's had, he's had big wins, better wins, right? Better stats. But this performance was incredible, especially given the circumstances. Being down 21 nothing, going up against one of the best defenses if not the best defense in the National Football League. I know it looked easy, right? I know at times it looked easy, but this Jaguars defense is for real. I know we threw 42 on them. I know at times it looked like the Steelers were just going to go up and down the field, and every time we got the ball, we should have scored a touchdown. But all day, it was an absolute struggle, let me tell you. It was an absolute struggle. Start with the throw to Martavis Bryant, the, the touchdown that ended the first half. That was an incredible throw and just like immaculate ball placement. 
He threw Martavis open. When that ball releases from Ben's hands, Martavis Bryant is not open. But he puts it in a perfect spot to where only Martavis can get it. Oftentimes, you know, he, he would sit back there and there's no one open. I mean, there's just no one open. But you look at the throws to AB, the throws to Le'Veon in the end zone. Those guys were blanketed, blanket coverage, guys all over him. And yet he put it in there perfectly and let his best playmakers make big plays. Especially, I go to the fourth and five to Antonio. And yeah, fourth and five, you're throwing a deep ball. What are you thinking? And, and he's on the run too. He's throwing off balance. But what a perfect throw. What an unbelievably perfect throw to put it right on AB. He makes a spectacular catch. Yes, I mean, I get the turnovers early. You know, were very, very costly. The throw was kind of flat-footed, and he probably needed to put more air on that ball um, to get it over the defender uh, or, or put more juice on the football to get it out there because, you know, it, was just, it seemed like it was too easy for Jack to kind of tip that ball in the air, and, and he did a great job of keeping his feet inbounds. But, um, you know, not, not a great throw from Ben. And then, of course, the, the sack fumble, I mean, he's got to feel that pressure. He's got to get rid of the ball earlier. Those weren't great plays by Ben. But he recovered. He recovered in quarters two through four. He more than made up for it. 42 points in three quarters against either the best defense in football or the second best defense in football. It, it, it was nothing short of incredible. And, and I, go, I, I think this is Ben Roethlisberger. I, look, I know it will be forgotten, right? No one's going to look back at, at 45 to 42 Steelers and think, oh yeah, that was Ben's best game. That's the best game he ever played. But how about the fact that he plays his worst game of the year against the Jacksonville Jaguars? He throws five interceptions, plays terrible, inaccurate, not seeing the field well, ball placement. And then he comes back and has what I think is his best performance he's ever had in the playoff game against that same defense. I mean, how about the presence of mind on the play, uh, on the goal? I know it was at the end of the game and it, you know, it kind of didn't matter, but how about the, the presence of mind as he's running to the goal line and sees he can't make it to kind of do that little lateral to Le'Veon for, for not just a first down, for a touchdown. I mean, that, that's signature Big Ben, right? That's, that's vintage Big Ben. A.B. in this game was, was you know, again, his, his MVP self. I mean, if this is A.B. at, you know, 70% or whatever he was because of his calf, how, how good could he possibly be? I mean, there's no, there was no drop-off in this game, none whatsoever. He, he's, he is by far the best wide receiver in football. And for him to have the performance that he did, given his, his status uh, or, you know, given the injury that he had, you know, uh, what can you say? What can you say? And, and I, look, I'll say this. Todd Haley's going to get a lot of flack in this game and has gotten a lot of flack in this game. But I think you've got to give him credit, right? We'll say something positive on first. I think you've got to give him credit for the way he's worked Vance McDonald into this offense. Because, you know, we've talked about on this podcast for a couple years now about working a tight end into this offense and seeing if you can get, a, you know, a better tight end um, and what you can do with a more athletic tight end and a pass-catching tight end, right? Vance McDonald was great. And that little that little Vance McDonald in the flat play that they run, they ran it a lot in the game. But you put two wide receivers on one, on, on, on the same side of the field as Vance McDonald on the line, and you the two wide receivers block, and Vance kind of goes on a little flat route. I mean, they hit that play over and over and over again, and it worked to perfection. I mean, Vance McDonald had, what, 10 catches in this game, over 100 yards? I mean, you know... It, I, I hope that they keep Vance McDonald into next season um, because, you know, he was he is a very, very good asset to this team. And the way that he was being used as the season went along was better and better. And I'm, I'm excited to see what an entire offseason with being able to plan for him to be in the offense looks like. 
And then, you know, Le'Veon was Le'Veon, right? Uh, you know, whether it was on, whether it was running the ball, you know, catching the ball, um, whatever the, taking whatever the defense is giving you, he was, he was great again. Um, you know, I mean, look, he wasn't put in the best spot play calling wise, right? We'll talk about the fourth down pitch play. Um, but you know, he, he consistently got what the defense was giving him. Um, he's a great running back at not getting negative yards at being able to, to, you know, to get positive yards on every play. Um, and so I thought he had a very good game. Now, somehow, we've played this team twice. And both times, the fan base coming out of it is talking about the wrong side of the ball. You, know, you look at the first game, the five interceptions for Ben Roethlisberger, and you know the fan base is talking about, and Mike Tomlin is talking about, the defense. Oh, the defense is that fault. The defense screwed us in that game because they gave up the eight-minute drive. And it's like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Um, you know, all of the vitriol in this game is centered on Todd Haley and the offense and those fourth and one calls. And it's like, what? what? I mean, look, I will agree with you that Todd Haley did not call a great game uh, at the beginning of the beginning portions of this game. Um, and, and the first fourth down play, the pitch obviously was a terrible, terrible play call. Um, but I, I think we're missing the forest from the trees once again. You know, these play calls were bad, right? I mean, in the first one, the pitch, if you're going to run Le'Veon, you should run him up the middle on fourth and one, right? You don't want to start five yards behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, the, the, the Jaguars defense is very fast. They're already playing against the run, so you're not going to catch them, you know, off, right? You're not going to catch them, th- you know, thinking uh, that you're going to throw there. I, you know, why not? I, I, and I don't, I don't fault him on the second fourth down, by the way. I, I don't think the second fourth down is even worth talking about. Because that one is just Steeler fans not watching the game. I, I got to tell you, it's just you're not watching the game. If you're if you're upset that we didn't run Le'Veon again on fourth down, like did you watch the plays before? I, I don't understand. Like the first down call is a run to Le'Veon. The second down call is a run to Le'Veon. The third down call is another run to Le'Veon. Right? It was third and one. You ran Le'Veon. It's now fourth and one. I mean, yeah, you can run Le'Veon again, but Ben Roethlisberger is having an unbelievably good day. You've got all these playmakers. You need one yard. Okay, I mean, I'm not. I'm, uh, are we? Are we that? You know, dead set on being an I formation, running right up the middle at the Jaguars' strength, which is their defensive line. Like, no, I mean, I, I think putting the ball in Ben Roethlisberger's hands there is perfectly fine. Um, you know, the, give the Jaguars' defense credit; they made a good play. I mean, whether it was defensive holding or not is, is up for debate. But you know, the de- the defender made a good play on Juju. Um, you know, Juju was. If you look at the tape afterwards, Juju was pretty open on that play. I mean, what Ben is looking at is an open Juju. Um, should he have thrown to Eli Rogers, who was probably more open on that play? Yes. Uh, but you know, don't, I don't fault Ben for throwing to Juju on that play. And, and, and again, the, the, the defender made a good play if it wasn't defensive holding. Um, so I, I don't blame Todd Haley for that one. Right. I mean, you know, you know, we should have run the ball again. Well, when you ran the ball on third down, you got no yard. So, it, you know, the only thing that you're saying there is you're being again, results oriented in saying, well, we didn't get it through the air, so you should have run. Well, sure. I mean, if I had known that on th- on fourth and one, I was going to throw an incomplete pass, yeah, maybe I would have run the ball. You gave me that option. If you said, you can either run the ball up the middle or throw an incomplete pass, yeah, I would probably run up the middle. But, I mean, again, it's just like this results-oriented thinking of like, oh, I didn't get it on third down, but I will get it on fourth down. Like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I-, I would say the other option there is quarterback sneak, right? This is where I think we have actually some play-calling problems, right? Which is... 
you know, we have a 6'5 quarterback, and we haven't run a quarterback sneak in three years. It's two, 2015 is the last time we ran a quarterback sneak with Ben. That is a problem, right? That is a real problem. Now, are we losing football games because we don't quarterback sneak? No. Um, I would like us quarterback sneak. I think we need to. I think we need to run more quarterback sneaks in this game. You have a six-five quarterback who's big, who can easily get first downs. You have a great center in, in Pouncey who can move guys off the ball. It shouldn't be that difficult. Um, and I think that right there is is a real criticism of Haley that I will agree with, which is that he gets too cute at times. And the pitch play is a hundred percent this. Um, you know, he likes to get a little too cute. A little too often in these games, um, you know whether it's the pitch play to Le'Veon on on uh, fourth down, whether it's not running quarterback sneaks, whether it's um, you know the, the the kind of first fifteen plays of the game. Which I mean, look, the Steelers' the offense came out flat in this game, no doubt about that. But you know, we, I think we all had a kind of the feeling that that might happen, right? I mean, that happens to teams when you you know the the downside of keeping AB and Le'Veon and Ben healthy by resting them for so long is that yeah you know what your first couple drives your first drive or two may be uh, a little off you, right you may need to get back in sync you may need some time to get back in sync so you know not surprising if they came out but I don't really like the first 15 play calls in this game because they were all little designed timing route type plays you know which which just isn't the the forte of this team or hasn't been this year Right, I mean, we have some, like I said, we have some good plays out of out of the crazy ones that, that Haley likes to run, the kind of designed plays. Right, I love the little uh, pitch play to um, to whether it's Juju or I think we run it to Eli in this game. In fact, I think we ran a fake pitch, uh, the fake pitch, and then kind of a little toss up the middle. You got the you got the the wide receiver running across the offensive line, um, and Ben does a little flip to him. I love that play call. I think that's 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 a cool play call. That seems to have worked all year. Like I said, the Vance McDonald one was pretty good. But then we ran one where it was like we brought Hubbard out as a as a, uh, uh, a eligible receiver, and then we we spread him out like we motioned and spread him out wide into five wide, and then tried to run a, a wide receiver screen to Juju the other way. And it's like don't you you don't need to fool the Jaguars, right? Line up and try to beat them straight up. Um, that was that was weird to me, and that's the kind of stuff that Haley's got to get better at. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, if he's going to be the coordinator going forward, uh, you know. Again, I don't think it's all for naught here, right? Because he got better as the play went, as the game went on, right? I mean, the, the obviously the fourth down call against um, with with the, the pitch to Le'Veon is, is the worst play call of the day, no doubt about that. But from that point forward, I really have no complaints about the play calling uh, as the game went on. I don't mind the play action on fourth and one as much as some people do, um, because again. You know, putting the ball in Ben's hands and, and saying, try to find A.B. or Juju or Eli or Le'Veon out of the backfield or McDonald or, you know, whoever whoever's out there, right, is not, you know, you're not putting yourself in a position to lose, right? I mean, I think pitching the ball, that's putting yourself in a position to lose. Um, you know, I mean, I think in that play, if you're going to run Le'Veon up the middle, or if you're going to run Le'Veon, run him up the middle. But let's not act like, you know, let's not act like Le'Veon, Le'Veon up the middle is a guarantee, right? Because we did that on the third and one play and didn't get it, so. I mean, I think this is just a, a hindsight is twenty twenty type thing. The onside kick and, and late game management is another thing. This hasn't been so much Pittsburgh media getting on them about this. This has been more the national media, but it's still maddening to me. I'll, I'll start with the, the late game management. You know, I read an article today, uh, I think it was on Pro Football Talk or, or one of those sites where it's like <laughs> Tomlin needs to get better at game management because he bungled the last 47 seconds. It's like... Oh, is that what cost us this game? Is the last forty-seven like of all the of all the times in this game where you can look back and go, 
boy, I wish they could have changed one. If I could change one thing, what would it be? It would be it would be what the Tomlin's decisions at 47 seconds to go when we're down by 10. Yeah, that was really yeah, that's really what cost us in this game. Yeah, definitely, definitely was the was the not kicking the field goal and then trying an onside kick with 47 seconds left. Nothing in the other 59 minutes mattered in this game. It was the last 47 seconds. Like that's just stupid. Did, you know, did Tomlin make the wrong decision and not kicking the field goal and then going the onside and trying a hail mary? Yes, I will agree with you. He did not do the right thing there. However, however, there's about 59 other minutes worth of stuff that I think we can get better on that I'd like him to focus on a little more than whether or not we should have kicked a field goal and then try to hit and try to onside kick and get it and hail mary in the last 47 seconds of the football game, right? So spare me on that. The second one is the onside kick, right? And a lot of people are getting on Tomlin for this about oh my god, why would you onside kick it? You still have the two minute warning. You have two timeouts, right? You can stop them for a three and out and get the ball back. Um, okay, so I was for the onside kick in the stadium. In fact, I was, I was for the onside kick before we even scored the touchdown, right? It was 42 to 28. And I think we were, we were close to scoring. And I thought, um, yeah, I mean, if you score this, you better onside kick it. You better onside kick it. Because for those of you who didn't want them to onside, right? And I, and I get that there's, you know, there's, again, the results oriented hindsight is twenty twenty people who will go, well, we did get them a three now, but like, did you watch the rest of the game like did you did you turn it on on that drive is that is that why you think we should we should not sided it because the defense was terrible all day i mean the defense was atrocious all day think back with me how many three and outs did the steelers defense have in this game before the onside kick how many three and outs did we get of a jacksonville jaguars team that scored 10 points against buffalo how many three and outs did we have this game the answer is zero up until that last drive zero and you, you mean to tell me that onside kicking there was a bad idea? Because, oh, no, no, this time, this time we're going to get the three and out. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, I mean, sure. Kick, kick it off and, and let's hope that our defense, which couldn't get a stop in the entire fourth quarter, which every time the Steelers offense got it within seven would give up another touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I totally trust them to get a three and out. Absolutely, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I don't see, I, I don't understand it, but okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and again, it's like, you know, you look at the two drives when the Steelers needed to stop the most in the fourth quarter, which is when the Steelers made it uh, 30, 35 to 28. Okay, defense, we need to stop here. Got to get them. Like, let's let's do this thing. We got to get a stop. And then when they made it 35 to 40, or, and then when they made it uh, 35 to 42, it was like, you need to get a stop again. Let's go, defense. You need to make a stop. Nope, can't do it. You know, the, and then and then everything after the onside kick is another thing where I go, okay, and again, it, just, it proves the point. The defense sucked. The, the Jags get the ball at the 36-yard line. It's a four, it's 53 or 54-yard field goal from there, right, depending on how, where they line it up because some, some kickers like to line it up a little further back for the longer kicks. So you may go 54 in Heinz on a cold day if they, you know, if, if they have to kick from there. Now, you know they're going to run the football. You absolutely... No, they're going to run the football. So it should not be difficult to get some stops on the running game here, right? They should get at most like, you know, one yard, two yards of play, right? So they should go at most like five yards, right? Making it or whatever, like a 49, 50 yard field goal. Cool. We can deal with that. No, the Jags go nine and a half yards. Nine. I mean, they, they were, it was literally fourth and inches. And if the field goal weren't so easy, they would have gone for it on fourth down. And if you don't think they would have gone for it on fourth down if we had kicked it off to them with a chance for them to just win the game on an easy four net up the middle play, they absolutely would have, and we absolutely would not have stopped them. Um, you know, 
But again, you know, we allowed him to go nine and a half yards, and it goes from being a 53-yard field goal to, you know, a chippy at, what, 40, what was it, like 43-yard field goal or something? I mean, it was just like, it was a joke. And, you know, so the, I mean, look, the idea that we would have just got to stop there, I, I think it's a fairy tale. I think it's a fairy tale. And I think that's the part we're not talking about. I mean, that, that's the part that I cannot believe that as I go to all these Steelers sites and I'm looking at Steelers Twitter, I'm looking at Steelers Reddit, and it's like, we got to fire Tomlin. I'm sick of Tomlin. I'm sick of, I'm sick of Haley. It's like, uh, what? Is, is this, is this what you, you got out of this game? Is like the offense is the problem. The defense had its worst game maybe ever. This might be the worst defensive game the Steelers have ever played. The offense was red hot in this game. The Steelers offense, red hot from quarters two through four. That should have been putting pressure on the Jaguars, right? And the defense should have been getting momentum every time the Steelers scored and made it a seven-point game. Okay, this is the time. This is when we're going to get that stop. And instead, every time, the Jaguars made it look easy. Oh, another touchdown. Oh, another touchdown. Oh, another touchdown. The two fourth-quarter drives that, that the, the Jags had, I mean, I remember, it, the, 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 the drive chart in the fourth quarter is so frustrating because it goes Steelers four and out, then Jags touchdown, Steelers touchdown to make it, to make it seven again, Jags touchdown. I mean, it's, I mean, it is disgusting to watch this defense and how how helpless they were to stop this Jaguars offense. The two fourth quarter touchdowns are highlighted by two of the worst plays of the game, which is the long pass to Cole down to the three yard line, which was an absolute killer. And then a 40 yard pass to, to TJ Yeldon, wide open in the flat, wide open in the flat. And on those drives, on those two drives, the two most meaningful drives in the game, when the defense absolutely had to get a stop, the Steelers had them in third and six, or third and eight, third and five, third and four, couldn't get a stop, could not get a stop on any of those plays. In fact, the the forty yarder to Yeldon, the absolute backbreaker of the game, the one that the one that led to forty two to twenty eight, that was on a third and five. This is the most points we've given up all year. Right, we. I mean, obviously, obviously. And if you take away the seven from the pick six, or from the fumble touchdown, and you and you give the defense the credit of, oh well, I don't, I don't think you should have been able to stop them at in the twenty. So we'll give them another seven on the interception. Fine. So take away fourteen points. It's still thirty-one. That's more than they gave up to Brady, to Tom Brady, a guy who lit us up for thirty-six last year in the playoffs in his own house. Comes to Heinz Field. We're going to play tight man-to-man on him. We don't play tight man-to-man. We're going to play tight man-to-man on Brady. We hold him 27. And they had to get 27 at the last second. We gave up 31 points to Blake Bortles in Heinz Field, in the playoffs. And offense, again, that scored 10 points the week before at home. At home, and they struggled to get 10. And what's the story again coming out of this game defensively? Miscommunication. I mean, that to me, that's the damning fact of all of them. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about, well, it's just miscommunication, guys. Just miscommunication. We just we were playing two different defenses. I mean, the, the talent on defense may be there. It may not. And maybe we're not an elite defense. We certainly miss Ryan Shazier. But this defense, no matter what the talent level is, should not be giving up 31 points to Blake Bortles in the playoffs at home. 
you you might say that this defense doesn't have enough talent yet. We need to acquire more talent, and I will agree with you on that. But this that's not the reason we gave up 31 points to Blake Bortles. This is not a talent issue. Talent is not the issue. I mean, you know, that may be the issue when we're playing Tom Brady, and you may be able to say, well, who, you know, we just don't have a guy to match up with Gronk, or we don't have the front four to get to Brady, or, you know, whatever you want to say. Not here. Not, not against Blake Bortles. Sorry. That, that argument does not hold water. You know, I, I gave this, I, I, we've heard this story again with the miscommunication. We've heard it all year. And, we, and we've heard it for years, actually. Right? I gave them a pass midseason when they lost Hayden. And the defense started to started to, to take a downward turn. We had such a good defense earlier in the year. Remember, we didn't allow 20 points in regulation for so long. Um, you know, we were playing a dominating style, right? Where where you know, when you look back at the Chiefs game, you look back uh, against the Lions of not allowing them to score any touchdowns in that game. Um, you look back at the Bengals in the second. I mean, we had so many good defensive performances earlier in the year. And then Hayden went down, okay. Got, got some communication issues. Fine. You got to adjust to new guys in the secondary, right? We're starting at Cam, starting Cam Sutton. He's a rookie. Fine. Might be some miscommunication there. Mike Mitchell, who's your veteran in the secondary. He's not, a, you know, he was in and out. Fine. Maybe you got some miscommunication there. That's okay. You need, excuse me, you need some time to, to adjust to Ryan Shazier being out. I get that. Yep. But Hayden's back in this game. Hayden's back. He's been back. He's been back since Houston. And it's been six weeks since Ryan Shazier has been out. Yeah, and you had two weeks to prepare for this game. Three weeks if you consider the, the meaningless game against the Browns where a lot of this defense played. And what do we hear during that break, during that, that break of, you know, the, the, the bye week? Oh, we're going we're gonna to work on that communication. We're gonna, you know, we can't have that miscommunication. That's been killing us all year. And yet, here we are after the playoff game. And what are we talking about? It's the same thing again. We're back where we started with the Keith Butler defense. Because when Keith Butler took over for Dick LeBeau in 2015, we opened that season on Thursday Night Football, the Thursday opener against the New England Patriots. That game was 28-21. to And what was the story coming out of that game? It was the Steelers' defense and the miscommunication that we had on defense in that game. Ten men on defense three different times in that game. Ten men on the field. Receivers left wide open, including Gronk for an easy touchdown. And three years later, three years later, here we are talking about the same exact thing: miscommunication, guys left wide open. Blake Bortles wasn't out there fitting the ball into tight spots, right? He had all day to throw because, again, Butler in these situations where it's against a bad quarterback just decides, um, you know what? I'm really not going to blitz them. I'm not going to bring pressure. And guys, we're so wide open because, again, we're just, you know, we don't know how to communicate on defense. We're leaving guys wide open. I, I don't know how often they blitz in this game, but they had no answers for this team. They had absolutely no answers. And when this defense needed it the most, and the crowd was in it the most, and they're showing Ryan Shazier on there, and the crowd's going absolutely nuts, defense get us a stop. And they're playing Renegade, and the crowd's going absolutely nuts, defense get us a stop. Touchdown. 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 You know, compare that with the offense, which came out comparatively sluggish. Sure, they they also came out sluggish in this game. And once this thing got rolling and the offense was like, all right, you know what? We got to start scoring because, the, you know, this thing's getting out of control. Bang, score, bang, score, bang, score. I mean, we're just keeping up every moment we can go. And it's just defense. Get us one more stop and we're back in this thing. Couldn't do it. 
against Blake Bortles. This is a low point for the defense, no doubt about it. And, I, and look, I've said, you know, for years, I think this defense is coming along. I think we have the makings of something. I think we could, I think we're getting there. This was a gigantic step backwards. And it's not even a step backwards. It's just the same thing. It's just, you just can't fix it, right? All we needed was a stop or two in the fourth quarter. A, a lot of questions are being asked about, you know, why, right? Why is, why are we still talking about a defense that's that's making bad quarterbacks look good and and you know giving up big performances like this is it talent is it coaching I mean is it player development I mean player development to me is one thing we need to talk about because and I said it on two weeks ago on the podcast right and and it was concerning to me then you know think about the think about the draft that we had a year ago think about how good we thought coming into the season oh god we're gonna have Artie Burns in year two like Artie Burns with a year to develop, Sean Davis with a year to develop, Javon Hargrave with a year to develop. Which one of those three guys had the best year out of the three? Which one of those guys even had a good year? I don't know. I mean, it didn't seem like any of them made a step forward at all. They might, I mean, you know, I'm not sure that they were worse, but they certainly weren't better, right? It was just, eh. What about Bud Dupree? Bud Dupree had an article written about him, about how, how hard he was working in the offseason, about how he could potentially be defensive player of the year. That's what he was going for this year. Defensive player of the year. I mean, he he, he had, what, four sacks this year? I don't know if the Steelers even give him a fifth year on the, their option from a first-round player. I don't know if we even bring him back for a fifth year. He was nowhere to be seen in this game. That's for sure. And then the other question is, is it the scheme? Schematically, are these guys being put in the best position to win? Talent, again, cannot be blamed for this. We've talked all season about how loaded defensively we are. We brought Joe Hayden in. We brought in TJ Watt, who's played terrifically as a rookie. So well as a rookie that when we got rid of James Harrison, the thing we were most pissed off about is not that we cut James Harrison. It's that he went to the Patriots, right? It wasn't like, oh, we really could use James Harrison. It was, no, you know, you're right. Probably TJ should be playing these these reps. But man, I really wish he didn't go to the Patriots. I, I think you have to, I think you have to look at, at, at Keith Butler. And the defense that he's putting out there, I think. And I think I think you have to. I think you probably have to change. It. I mean, look at Cam Hayward in this game. You know, we're going to talk about talent. Talent. You know, talent's the problem. Look at Cam Hayward. He's an All Pro, voted All Pro. He's going to the Pro Bowl this year. Look at his stat sheet in this game. One tackle. One tackle. That's his entire stat sheet. Now, is that a talent issue? Are we saying Cam Hayward's not good enough to register on the stat sheet in this game? We need a better player than Cam Hayward, all pro, pro bowler? I don't think so, man. I don't think so. I think I think you probably got to change coordinators on defense. I think Keith Butler, look, I, I think he's done an admirable job. We have a we have probably a better defense today than we left with than we left with right overall. But like performances like this, it's and it's and the problem is it's not like we've gotten better defensively and now we have new problems. Right? I mean, we have the same problems we started with. And I think that's the damning thing here. Yeah, you have to change coordinators just because you, we keep asking ourselves, is it the scheme or is it player development or is it, or is it talent? I think you just have to find out by changing scheme and seeing if that changes anything. Because if you change the coordinators and it's still bad, okay, fine. Then you just have a, you have a talent problem. You have a talent evaluation problem. You got to go out and you got you to not just get, you got to not just put more time and effort into, into defense because it's not as though this team hasn't been trying to rebuild on the defense, right? I mean, they have taken what is it? Five of the last six players they've taken in the in this uh, in the first three rounds have been defensive players. I don't know. If we, we took an offensive player in the first round 
The last player we took on offense in the first round was David DeCastro, maybe? I'm trying to think of, of who we took in the first round. I think it was DeCastro. You know, I, I mean, again, it, that's why I'm trying to say, like, I don't know if it's talent. We can say it's talent and, and you know, fine, but, like, I think schematically we have some problems here. And I think you got to bring someone in from outside the organization, right? you got to bring someone in to really tighten up this defense, to fix the miscommunications, give some discipline to that defense. Maybe talent is the issue. Maybe it is. But again, it seems like some sort of coaching schematic thing that, that can be fixed from the outside. And we've been here before, right? We've been here before on offense. We've seen this offense. We've seen offensively have some struggles and have to change coordinators and, and you know, bring in the guy from outside the organization. We did that with Arians, getting rid of Arians. Bring in Haley, and that seems to work out, right? I mean, offensively, I don't think we're, you know, we're not certainly not hurting offensively. It's not perfect, right? We can go on here and we can we can bitch about Haley for sure, but we're not saying we have a bad offense, right? We just threw 42 in one of the best defenses in, in the league. I think it's time to do the same thing defensively. You got to bring in some from, the, from outside the organization. You got to try and figure out what you got defensively. You know, we have the same problems today that we did three years ago. That's not talent. It's not a talent issue communicating. It's a coaching schematic issue. So I think that's where you got to go. And then offensively, you know, it's, I mean, look, Todd Haley's probably not going to be with the team next year anyway, so this is probably a moot point. But my problem with Todd Haley is not because of the offensive performance. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah, the offense got better and better as the season went along. Um, you know, they, they develop talent on offense like, you know, every year you see it's some new guy, whether it's. You know, whether it's A.B. or Martavis or now Ju- or Juju or Le'Veon in the second round. I mean, like, my God, we just, you know, we're just continually bringing in all-star after all-star. we got one of the best offensive lines in football, right? I think the problem for Todd Haley is, number one, his contract is up. And his relationship with Ben Roethlisberger may not be, you know, at an all-time high. Uh, you know, I don't know what to believe. There's been so many reports about him and Haley, or Ben and Haley not getting along. Um, you know, and, and there was a, a report today from Ed Bouchette where he wrote that, you know, he, he's heard that there were a, a conversation between Ben and Haley got, you know, was really bad at the end of last year. And, and that's why Ben was considering retirement. I mean, look, if you do end up getting rid of Haley and going with a replacement, I think that there's an easy replacement there, right? It's, you know, again, you don't want to rock the boat offensively. So I think you go with a guy like Randy Fichter, who's the, the quarterback coach behind, uh, or, or, you know, with, with, Ben Roethlisberger, right? Obviously, they're going to have a good relationship. It's a quarterback coach. Um, and, you know, probably going to, you know, and hopefully runs pretty much the same thing as Haley's offense. And there's going to be a, you know, hopefully good communication between Ben and and, uh, and Randy. So um, that's the move that I'd make. I think there's just too much bickering in the offense, right? I mean, you know, you hear Ben after games, you know, talking about, oh, you know, you got to talk to Todd about that. And I don't, you know, I can't speak to that play call or whatever. That's the, that's the call I was given on the sideline. And, you know, the stuff he said today about the quarterback sneak and how he wants to run quarterback sneaks and, you know, he's told not to or he doesn't have the option to. It's like, like I mean, that those stuff, that stuff just reflects a poor relationship with, with Haley. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I mean, look, it's an easy change to make. Again, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has said he wants to come back. He wants to come back potentially for three years. Um, you know, so if you have a three-year window now, right, don't rock the boat. Right? You don't go out there and, you know, well, let's bring in a whole new offense and a whole new offensive coordinator and change all the terminology and change all the formations and all that stuff. No, 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 you don't need to do any of that, right? The offense is not broken. You, you need to just replace him with a guy that Ben's going to get along with that's going to keep the same kind of scheme. Obviously, they're going to bring in their own stuff a little bit, but don't rock the boat because you don't need to be changing offense with three years of your quarterback left. All right. And then I guess we have to end on the, on the Tomlin stuff, right? I mean, we, we, 
and it sucks to have to talk about this because I think it's really, really stupid. Uh, I think it's I think it is it is un Steelers to even be bringing up talking about firing your coach. Again, the Steelers haven't fired a coach since before Chuck Knoll was here, and that was in the 1960s. So it's been a minute. Uh, but I, I think we have to talk about it today because not because the fans are bringing it up because you know Steeler fans for whatever reason don't understand the organization that they cheer for, uh, but because you know there's a um, a fraction of ownership I guess some of the the, the minority owners of the team um, want or are going to go to Art Rooney to pressure him to fire Mike Tomlin, and that's just, I mean again not not to say that Tomlin is going to get fired. Um, but I guess this is out there now, and it's not out there from fans. It's out there from parts of the organization. So let's address it. Um, this is ridiculous. This is a this is one of these dumb emotional responses that you read on Steelers Twitter, and you read on Steelers Reddit, and you you read it on the comments on on articles, and you go, wow, okay, yeah, yeah, fire Tom. How that go for you? Sure, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but to hear it coming from the organization is, is really disheartening. I mean, I know it's not coming from the Roonies, and it's not coming from the, the people that matter, right? I mean, these are minority owners we're talking about. These are guys who own less than 5% of the team. But I, I think we need to have, we as Steeler fans need to have perspective on what we're talking about here and, and the organization that we cheer for. I, I get that, again, I said at the top, this is an emotional loss. It's an, and there's been an, an emotional reaction to this game, and, and it's frustrating, and it sucks. And this team should not have lost this football game. But firing Mike Tomlin isn't necessarily going to fix that stuff. In fact, firing Mike Tomlin puts you back into just being another one of the 31 teams. And this is where, when I read these comments and I read Steelers Twitter and I read I read Steelers Reddit, and I'm just like, do, do you fans not understand the team that you root for? Like, do you not appreciate the team that you root for? Do you not appreciate why the Pittsburgh Steelers are as good as we are, why we have six championships when, when no one else does, why we're the winningest franchise in, 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 in the Super Bowl era? Do, you, do, do, you, do fans not realize what, what it takes to be that? Because, you know, you can go cheer for some other team. Man. Go cheer for the Cleveland Browns and, and find out what it's like if you want to change coaches every two years or change coaches every time you have, you know, a bad loss or, 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 or a disappointing season. That's, those are the teams that do that, and those are the teams that are constantly in turmoil. So I get that the Jaguars' loss is frustrating, right? And yeah, you know, you want to blame Tomlin for that stuff. And Tomlin deserves a lot of the blame for this one, right? Because again, you know, he's a defensive coach. He should be in there. You know, if his hands aren't in the pot with with Keith Butler, then they should be in the pot with whoever the next guy is. And if they are in the pot with Keith Butler, then he needs to take him out and give responsibility of this defense to somebody else because it's not working. But I don't want to fire Mike Tomlin because of that. In fact, the last thing I want to do is fire Mike Tomlin because of that. The reason why this organization has been so good for so long is because we do have games like this. This is not the first time the Steelers in a playoff game have lost to a team that they have no business losing to. And it won't be the last time that we lose to a team that we have no business losing to. And I get that we, you know, that Steeler fans, you know, again, the the caricature of a Steeler fan is a dumb fan who just feels like, you know, they deserve everything and and their team should be the best every year, right? I mean, and, and yet... And yet it goes from caricature to real when you go reading friggin' Steelers Twitter and Steelers Reddit and these Steelers commenters who are saying, you know, just the dumbest things you can possibly say. And it's like, again, I just get so frustrated reading this because, you know, Steel, the Steeler organization is an organization that if you have a down year, you know, go back to 
to go back to Bill Cowher, because again, this is what I grew up on. I talked about this on last week's podcast, right? Growing up on 90 Steelers. Let's go back to 90 Steelers, because let's go back to 1994. Ben, uh, Bill Cowher's third year as a coach, okay? That 1994 team was loaded with talent on defense. They had Barry Foster at running back, who I believe led the league in rushing that year. That team was a double-digit favorite against the San Diego Chargers in Three River Stadium at home. They and and you know you want to talk about oh Bill Cowher doesn't have or, or Mike Tomlin doesn't have control of his team and you know they were they were guaranteeing a win against the Patriots. Bill Cowher's team was filming the Super Bowl shuffle in Heinz Field the day before the game. That's a true story. Go look it up. And they lost that game against San Diego Chargers to Stan Humphreys. Stan Humphreys. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, who the hell is Stan Humphreys? Exactly. Because you know who Stan Humphreys is? He's Blake Bortles from 20 years ago. And and like Blake, unlike Stan Humphreys, you won't remember who Blake Bortles is 20 years from now. Did we fire Bill Cowher after that? After that devastating, humiliating loss at San Diego Chargers? No, we did not. We did not. We kept Bill Cowher. And when he went to the Super Bowl next year, the, the next year, and lost it? Did we fire him then? No, of course not. That was a great season for us. And then, you know, again, but you look at Bill Cowher's career, the 1994 loss in the AFC Championship game was one of three AFC Championship losses he would have in his career. He lost it in... I'm sorry, it's not true. That's one of four he lost. Because he lost with a superior team in 1994. He lost with a superior team in 2001 against the New England Patriots. When that team in 2001, again, had a bunch of talent defensively. Couldn't come through against the Patriots at home in Heinz Field. And then 2004. Again, a great team. Ben, Jerome Bettis. Rookie Ben Roethlisberger. 15-1 team. Again, you, yeah, you forgive. And every one of those times when we came back and we got, God, you know, we, we, were, we should have won that game. How the hell did we lose that game? And yet every year, was, was it fire cower, fire cower, fire cower? Of course not. We kept Bill Cower. We kept him, and it paid off. And it paid off in this way, not just because Cowher went on to win a Super Bowl in 2004, not just because in 1975 he went to the Super Bowl, right? It, 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 it was because that, that team was able to build without having to make crazy decisions because in 95, we didn't have to go out there and say, oh God, we have to do something crazy because, because we're on the hot seat now because of the loss in 94. And, and in 2002, we didn't have to do anything crazy because we had, a, we, you know, we had the crazy loss in in 2001, and when Bill Cowher was was six and ten, and and eight and eight, and that and those three years we didn't make the playoffs and we were we were bottom of the league, right? We didn't have to do anything crazy to try and come back from that stuff because again, the Roonies had enough belief in Bill Cowher, belief in the organization that they would turn this thing around, and they were proven right, and they are always proven right. And with Mike Tomlin, who is the second most winningest coach in his first eleven seasons as a quarterback, or as a coach, excuse me. You, if you fire him in that, in, 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 if you fire him for, for this loss, for the Jacksonville Jaguar loss, what are you saying to the rest of the league? Aren't you just saying, I am now becoming the rest of you? I am now becoming a, a, an organization that will fire a coach at any, at, at just a whim, at, at, at any sort of, any sort of a blip on the radar. Oh, we had a bad loss, gone. This is not a, the, again, with Mike Tomlin, are, are we saying that this is what? This is a pattern of bad losses in the playoffs? Yes, he lost to Tim Tebow in 2012, right? And since then, we have been building up back on this team. We have now made the playoffs four years in a row. We have won the North 
three years in a row. We we swept our division. We are leaps and bounds ahead of our division. Uh, we swept the, the entire AFC North this year. We were in the AFC Championship game a year ago. And yes, this was a bad loss in a 13-3 and season. But teams that do this, teams that fire their coach in this in this way, in this moment, when you've made the playoffs, when you're a great team and you're saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to fire my coach, not because I have a bad coach, because I think I could get a better coach. That is the height of hubris. And, and I will leave you on this. There was another team that you can point to that did this exact thing that we're talking about doing with Mike Tomlin, that did this exact thing. Back in 2006, the San Diego Chargers went 14-2 and with Marty Schottenheimer. They were, of course, the number one seed in the AFC, won their division, of course, and they, they were one and done. LaDainian Tomlinson won MVP that year. And they lost in the divisional round to the New England Patriots. They would fire Marty Schottenheimer after that year. His fifth year on the job. They would fire Marty Schottenheimer that year. They brought in North Turner. Yes, they made the conference championship the next year. They were 11-5 and five the next year. They won the conference championship. Since then, since they fired Marty Schottenheimer, they have made the playoffs four times. They have been through three coaches. They have been 4-12. Five and eleven, seven and nine. They were what nine and seven this year. They have been through after Marty Schottenheimer. Now they will. They, they are on their third coach. North Turner was hired in two thousand and seven. He was fired in two thousand and twelve. Mike McCoy was then hired. He was fired at the end of last year. They now are on Anthony Lynn, their third coach. Mike Tomlin was hired in two thousand and seven, the same year as North Turner. Mike Tomlin won a Super Bowl. Went to another, has won the division countless times, has missed the playoffs three times. Do we want to be the San Diego Chargers? Because again, you can say, oh, well, it's just Tomlin has all these great players. He has Ben, right? Of course he's going to make the playoffs all these years. The Chargers have Phillip Rivers. And sure, he may not be Ben Roethlisberger, but he's not a bad quarterback. And that team went 4-12 and 5-11 and 8-8 and 7-9 and, 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 and has only made the playoffs four times. Four times. In the last, what, 10 years? you got to ask yourself, is that the organization that you want to be? Do you want to be changing coaches every four years? Do you want to go through this whole thing every four years of, oh, no, no, we're, you know, we're going to be good this year. No, 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 we're going no, no, we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna change coaches, and this time we're really going to get it. Do you want to change coaches with three years of Ben Roethlisberger left? Is that the organization that we want to be? Because we can fire Mike Tomlin, just like the Chargers fired Marty Schottenheimer. But I got to tell you, the grass wasn't greener on the other side for the San Diego Chargers. And it won't be for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's going to do it for Steeler Country this week. Thank you all for listening. If you want to leave feedback, SteelerCountry at gmail.com is the email address. The website is SteelerCountryPodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at SteelerCountry. Talk to you next week.